T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction. Starring Score Baseball Insider Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel. It all starts right here, right now, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. And a pleasant good morning and welcome in to Inside the Clubhouse for Saturday, November 24th. I'm David Schuster filling in for Matt Spiegel. He, of course, is Bruce Levine. Bruce, I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. And it may be dreary outside again weather-wise today, but I guarantee everybody out there listening, we have a hot baseball show this morning. And the hot stove is always lit here at Inside the Clubhouse, David. And the number, of course, is 312-644-6767. Text David at 6711. He'll read all that is worthy from baseball talk to put on the air. By the way, David, holiday season, have greetings from Max and Benny's in Northbrook, your top restaurant, bakery, and deli in Chicagoland. They remind you that catering in the restaurant party rooms are available now for all of your holiday special events or business meetings. As for John at MaxandBenny's.com, party rooms are uh, available for 10 to 150 people for all your special events. Soup season is here. Freshest and heartiest soups warm the body and make your day at Max and Benny's. Combine that with build your own salad to start your day and end your evening at Max and Benny's. Dinners from four to nine, seven days a week. The best deli in America. Bakery goods to die for. 30 minutes from downtown, 30 minutes from the Wisconsin border. Max and Benny's in Northbrook. What a way to start or end your day. And starting your day here on the score, David, baseball talk continues. The hot stove is lit, and we're not going to ever hear the end of Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, your Chicago teams, and 28 others. On our show today, we'll always be talking to you. Uh, Ken Rosenthal from Fox Sports and The Athletic will be joining us at 930 to fill in some expertise like no other. Ken is at the very top of his game when it comes to information in the game. Larry Young, umpire supervisor, will tell us about where we're at as far as electronic umpires. Will we ever have them, David, behind home plate? He'll talk to us about time of game and other issues going on in baseball. We're here for you until 1045 today, normally 9 to 11 the Paul pregame starts at 10:45 on the score. And this hour brought to you by Webb Chevy. Searching for a great deal on Chevys in Chicago? Visit Webb Chevy in Plainfield or Oak Lawn. Bruce, what I love about the show for so many reasons is there's people lining up to talk to you specifically even before we get on the air. So I think they wait all week to talk to you about baseball, right. and we're going to get to them in just a moment. But first, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with the Cubs. I mean, they're looking for a pitching coach. I don't know if this is unprecedented, but to look for a pitching coach, uh, what, a week or two before the winter meetings, of which you'll be out in Las Vegas, by the way, and you can talk about that in just a little bit as well. But to look for a pitching coach at this late date going into a season, 
is unusual to say the least, and I know you have some candidates that they're looking at. Well, you're right. We we still have a team in Baltimore that doesn't have a manager, so uh, they're late. They just hired their general manager last week. Uh, yeah, this is late, but uh, you know, uh, again, I'm I'm going to have to apologize to the the Cubs front office for even questioning about uh, the Jim Hickey situation over the last uh, six weeks or so, and not understanding exactly. How the matter was, Jim Hickey resigned from the Cubs this week and said it was totally upon him, something that occurred within the realm of him and his life, and it became an HR issue, and he resigned. Uh, They came up with a uh, happy ending to say goodbye, and uh, Jim is uh, going somewhere else. So uh, the speculation that was out there, David, about how, well, this is one more nail in the coffin of Joe Madden and... They're just chopping another leg out was totally unfounded. And, uh, you know, at one point I speculated, I never wrote about it. I think on this show, I talked about it once, how if it was the situation, um, it was one more thing against Joe. So again, not having the proper knowledge, uh, that, that was my bad. And I'm sure there's other people out there that feel the same way because, um, when we talked to Theo Epstein about it or, and other people with the Cubs, they said we're we're not allowed to talk. Other people advised us that, um, you know, it was an internal situation and that uh, Hickey was trying to figure it out. And finally, we come with this conclusion. But what's next? Who is the next pitching coach for the Chicago Cubs? Here's what I've been able to find out. Brian Price, a former Cincinnati Reds manager and pitching coach for 15 years in baseball, and John Farrell, uh, who was a pitching coach for the 2007 world champion Red Sox and their manager when they won in 2013, are both getting interviews from the Cubs. So will Tommy Hattavi. Tommy Hattavi is a coordinator of advanced scouting for the Chicago Cubs. Tommy is considered one of the most, uh, one of the brightest guys in the organization. He's in charge, uh, David Daly, of preparing scouting reports and preparing defenses and getting the pitcher and the catcher ready for games along with Mike Borzello, who's the catching coordinator and his input on free agents and on pitchers around the league for the front office, as far as who they go after in the off season is invaluable. He's a really bright guy, former pitcher, pitched in the minor leagues and with the Cubs until 2014 for a couple of years. And he has risen uh, to a very uh, uh, high level in the organization to the point where he's being considered for this job. So those three guys, Lester Strode, who is their bullpen coach, will also be considered. There's a couple of other names out there. Rick Kranitz, who used to coach here and just got fired by Philadelphia. Juan Nieves, who uh, was the bullpen coach for the White Sox and pitching coach for the Red Sox. And just recently, Miami's also a name. But I think the the, uh, the guy who you look for is Atavi and also looking at Price and looking at um, Farrell. Farrell at this point. So it, it's those a- are the three guys that you're going to be looking at. And... It's going to be an important hire. I mean, it always is. This will be three pitching coaches in three years for the Cubs, David. And same for hitting. Same for hitting coach. Um, Theo Epstein, this is not on him. He would have had 
He would have had him back. I think they were generally happy with his performance last year. Yeah, the numbers by the Cubs pitchers overall, I mean, you can nitpick and find some fault here and there, obviously, but the numbers for the Cubs pitching staff, you know, including the bullpen, were pretty good overall. And it certainly wasn't Jim Hickey's or Joe Madden's or anybody's fault other than, I'll I'll just put it on the two pitchers themselves, you Darvish with some of the injuries, you know, and obviously uh, Tyler Chatwood, who still can't find home plate. So you can't blame Jim Hickey for that. So that's really interesting. You you might. I mean, you might say, well, he never got through to Darvish because he got, before he got hurt on May 20th and was shelved for the rest of the season, he was not pitching well. I mean, he had eight starts. He had three good ones. They were all against Milwaukee. Um, I don't think they were thrilled about that, but that that's such a sample size of what it's all about. Chatwood just became a total mess. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a disaster. And whether or not they wanted to blame Hickey for that or whether they wanted to blame Carl Edwards for him not uh, being the pitcher that he was, that would probably be nitpicking because of the fact that, as you mentioned, the ERA was up there in the top of the league. Uh, the pitching, the bullpen was the strength of the team all year long, even after – uh, they Brand. lost Morrow. Right. Uh, he never pitched after the All-Star game. And they still managed to uh, be, fortify the team and help them win. So many questions about the Cubs. Uh, you know, What are they going to do now in the offseason? Again, well, we mentioned that uh, you're going to be out there at the winter meetings. It starts, what, two weeks from tomorrow? Two weeks out from in tomorrow, Las Vegas. December 9th through the 13th. It ends with the Rule 5 draft on a Thursday morning. So th- there's a lot to talk about with the Cubs. Are they finally... In, in my estimation, finally going to make a trade with the surplus of what I think they have. And that means Ian Happ or Kyle Schwarber, one of them going. I don't see the Cubs actually signing either Bryce Harper or Manny Machado, but we'll talk about that as well. So if they want to pick up some other parts that they need, I think they have to go uh, the trade route, you know, going into that. Do they look for a closer? Are they, you know, confident that Brandon Morrow will come back healthy and pitch a whole season? Or do they look free agency in this advent for somebody like Zach Britton? So a lot of questions regarding the Cubs. Believe it or not, starting last year, they had uh, two all-star defensive infielders covering the game. And they, you know, they had Russell at short, Baez at second. A ball couldn't get through. The Cubs were last in defensive shifting in the National League. And one of the reasons for that was the vast range that they had up the middle. You combine that with Rizzo, who won another gold glove at first base, and Bryant, who was always average, not maybe not the best, but certainly not horrible at third base. You, you had uh, you know a team that didn't have to shift and didn't have to worry about somebody hitting the ball the opposite way because he had so much range. Now with the up-in-the-air status of Russell, who they're trying to rehab off the field and get his game back together, there, there's great questions with uh, Ben Zobris going into his last year with the team at age 38. How many games can he play at second? If Russell's not part of the mix, I think that from what I understand, the Cubs are after a middle infielder. And that, that is a priority for him, and probably through trade rather than through free agency. And what do they have to trade? Well, just as you mentioned, uh, is Ian Happ the trade bait for a solid middle infielder, somebody that can uh, be under contract control and give them uh, you know, somebody that can hit in the upper part of the order? We brought up uh, Mirrorfield of Kansas City as somebody that they might be looking at. There's... 
five or six other teams they've talked to already about that. All right, Bruce, your fan base uh, awaits, and they want to ask you some questions, so let's go out to the phone lines. Again, our number, 312-644-6767. Let's start here in the city, River North and Matt. Go ahead, Matt. You're on Inside the Clubhouse. Hey, hey, fellas. Bruce, I had a question for you. What would it take for the Cubs to get Edwin Diaz if Seattle is truly blowing it up? And would the Seattle say, hey, look, we're going to stick you with Robinson Cano's contract if you want to make this deal? Yeah, um, I, I don't, uh, Matt, I don't see that happening. Uh, I think they're going to hold on to Diaz because they want to win. Uh, when I talked to Jerry DePoto, their general manager at the general manager's meetings, he said the story that we're blowing it up totally is false. We are moving some of our veteran guys if we can. Uh, we're not, we're not blowing out our entire team because we'd like to do something like the Yankees did where they did a minor rebuild for a year, uh, kind of, you know, was around a 500 team and then stepped on the gas again. That, that's kind of what Depoto does. And Depoto trades more than any general manager in baseball. If he doesn't make a trade every two weeks, he's not a happy guy. So I don't think Diaz is going anywhere. But, Matt, it's, it's a good suggestion. Well, then they, they would have to look for guys, you know, relievers in the free agent market. I mean, would you be opposed to them going after Kimbrell or uh, Kelly on Boston or – you know, just, I mean, you know, you're getting a few guys like that. I mean, Kelly's a good name. I think Kimbrough and Matt, thanks for your call. Thanks, Matt. David, uh, Kelly's a good name. Uh, he's not going to be a, a three- or four-year guy. Kimbrough is going to be looked for a Wade Davis-type deal. Three years, $51 million that he signed last year. Um, are Kimbrough's better days behind him? Is it buyer beware with a fastball pitcher that's been around 10 years and has had also – a lot of postseason work that has worn him down. I think you have to be a little uh, wary of of signing a guy like that. And something to remember, and you and I talked about this before the show even started, Theo Epstein does not usually like going out and spending too much money. I mean, he spent some money, obviously, on Brandon Morrow last year. Yeah, Long-term it, contracts for closers. Right, and it was a two-year deal, and Morrow wasn't necessarily signed as a closer because at that point, Davis hadn't signed anywhere else. Mm-hmm. There was still a possibility of moving in another closer, but... Uh, in reality, that is exactly right, what you brought up, David. Uh, even going back to his Boston years, Epstein never laid a lot of money on long-term closers. Now, uh, he had um, uh, he, he had you know in-house candidates that stayed there for a while. But you know, in reality, uh, he's never paid a lot of money for a long-term closer. And I'm not sure if he's going to do that this year. I think he did say they're going to add to the bullpen. That means you might bring in another power arm and let Joe figure out uh, the end of the game or who's going to close on a more regular basis. But I, at this point, you can't trust Morrow no, because of his injury-prone career, last year of a contract, uh, having an elbow problem at the end. It's just not anything that you can trust being there all year long. Yeah, how many times did we stand in front of his locker and hear that, you know, I'm feeling better, feeling better, I should be back within the next week. We, we must have heard that a half a dozen times. And then in the long run, he wasn't able to come back at all. So, yeah, you cannot rely on him in the short or long run of being healthy because his career states that he just won't be. White Sox fans, where is Aficiel Garcia going? Is he going to be back with you? At 27, is he a part of the rebuild or at um, $8 million, his arbitration figure for this year, is that too costly for a guy and for a team that has outfield prospects and guys like Eli Jimenez on the come? All right, let's go back out to the phone lines. Let's go out to Braidwood and John. And John's talking about a topic that I always talk about with you, Bruce. Go ahead, John. You're on Inside the Clubhouse. 
Morning, guys. And, yeah, David, I'm glad that you're on here because I, I want to vent a little bit of frustration that we've been talking about the past two years, and I haven't heard much attention to it, is the top of the lineup with the Cubs is a problem. It's been a problem the past two years. And, David, I know that you've always been lukewarm on Albert Almora, and I agree with you. He's an average ball player, very good center fielder, but he's not a leadoff here. Mm-hmm. Neither is Ian Happ, and I'm really getting tired of seeing this Ian Happ, Albert Almora rotating circus and center field. They've got to uh, uh, pay attention to fixing the top of that lineup because Albert Almora's average uh, the past two years has dropped at the end of the year. Also, Ian Happ, I don't know what direction he's going into, but I'd like to see them package both of them up in a trade, get a center fielder that uh, Joe can uh, ink in every day that can lead off. Because I was listening to your show last week, Bruce, and you were right. People are all over Joe Madden about switching these guys around, and you said, very good, um, what else is he going to do? He doesn't have the players to put in like when he had – Dexter Fowler, he could ink him in every day as a leadoff hitter. It's still a problem. I'm not hearing enough attention to it, so I was wondering what you guys thought about it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, John. Well, Merrifield would answer that question. I mean, if if they could develop a package. And, again, Kansas City is light years away from competing. They're, they're behind the White Sox as far as what they project because the White Sox have, have better young talent in the organization now. Kansas City is still at the beginning, basically, of a rebuild, David, and and – Merrifield's going to be 30 years old this year. He's a very good player, good on-base percentage, stole 49 bases. That's the type of player that would solve some problems for you for a couple of years and fortify the middle of the infield where you don't know uh, what's going to happen with Russell, where you know Zobris at age 38 is you're, you're going to have to watch the games that he plays to get the very most out of him. And he was terrific last year. I can't, I can't mention Zobris without saying that I think he got ripped off of the Comeback Player of the Year award, raising his OPS 175 points, raising his batting average uh, 74 points, being a clutch hitter like he was, playing three positions, only making one error last year. But what can you count on from a 38-year-old guy in the last year of a contract? Yeah. Bruce, uh, again, we have some great guests coming up very shortly. Ken Rosenthal, and boy, I I got questions. I know you do as well. Larry Young coming up at 10 o'clock. I want to read this uh, one tweet Real quickly from uh, Adam Schechter, um, talking a little bit of football real quickly here. And he's quoting Mike Ditka's longtime agent, Steve Mandel, and I'll quote it now. Coach Ditka had a mild heart attack earlier this week. Doctors did insert a pacemaker. He's doing much better. He appreciates the outpouring of support and expects to be home soon. So that's good news. The coach is resting comfortably. I'm sure he'll be back on the golf course very shortly. Well, we wish him the best. Uh, You know, what an icon. There's no such thing as mild and heart attack. Uh, we wish him the best. He's as tough as hell, and uh, he's Chicago tough, and he'll get through it. You know, he'll be back. Uh, I'm sure the the, the uh, doctor is the first thing he's going to say is, "Stop smoking those blank cigars." <laughs> and he's a big baseball fan, oh, by yeah. the way. People he, don't. People, he, you know, he was a baseball player when he was a kid, and, right. and a really good one. So we wish uh, the coach nothing but the best. When we come back, uh, Ken Rosenthal at nine thirty. Your calls all the time three one two six four four six seven six seven. Text David at six seventy eleven. And we'll be back right after this. Nine twenty seven. Welcome back into Inside the Clubhouse for Saturday, November twenty fourth. I'm David Schuster. He's Bruce Levine. Right around the corner, we have the one and only Ken Rosenthal, and Ken always has great stuff. We have so many good questions. I hope from my end and Bruce's end. 
to ask Ken, and we'll get some good information from him. But for right now, we're taking your calls at 312-644-6767. We have DePaul basketball coming up at 1045. DePaul taking on Notre Dame. And then later this afternoon, we have football, of course, here on The Score. We have Illinois and Northwestern. We have the pregame show starting at 2 o'clock, Bruce. Yep, sir. And uh, we are expecting, as you said, Ken Rosenthal. But uh, Hall of Fame voting is coming up. We're going to talk to uh, you about that. This is the Modern Committee, 16 guys voting for people who um, have been off of the regular ballot for a while. The regular ballot is voted on and announced uh, sometime in early January coming up here. But, you know, locally, you know, Harold Bain's name has come up. Uh, he's one of these 11 people here. Lee Smith, Lou Pinella, Will Clark, Joe Carter, Albert Bell, one of my favorites, Oral Hershiser. Uh, George Steinbrenner, who I would think, even with a uh, a chartered past, should be in the Hall of Fame absolutely. for his contributions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was he was in charge of a Yankee. You can right. call it a dynasty. They won right. enough titles, and he was the owner and a controversial person, of course. But yeah, when I think of George Steinbrenner, look at some of the other owners that have gotten into the different Hall of Fame, specifically baseball. Right. Yeah, I think of George Steinbrenner as a Hall of Famer. So we'll talk to you about about that in a segment later on in our 10 o'clock hour as well, because uh, Harold Baines has some interesting numbers that we need to talk about. And knowing how the voters these days look at numbers compared to how they used to look at them, much different dynamic now, David. You know, sometimes now they hold it against guys for being around too long and not being uh, the player that they were all that time and that those numbers added up uh, don't really show you quality of play at the end of their career. And Bruce, the bottom of the hour here is brought to you by Northwestern Basketball. Coach Collins and Northwestern Basketball do return to the new Welsh Ryan Arena. It's coming up on Wednesday night when they host Georgia Tech in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Tickets on sale now at nusports.com. We also want to talk a little bit about the White Sox. You mentioned earlier in the show Avi Garcia. I just don't think Avi Garcia is going to be with the White Sox when the season starts. You know what? Uh, last year, believe it or not, they had very little uh interest in uh, him from other teams. Uh, they talked to other people about him. Uh, very, you know, after hitting 330 with 18 homers and 80 RBIs, he got very little play, which was surprising. But and uh, home run is king in the game these days. And Bruce, we now have a very, very special guest that's joining us here on Inside the Clubhouse, and I'll let you do the introductions. Okay, where is Ken Rosenthal not at? Okay, I can tell you where he is at. He can be found at the Athletic and you should subscribe to that because they have a, a really good deal on, on subscriptions right now that you can find online. He also works for Fox Sports, doing all the big games on Saturday and the postseason and MLB Network. Uh, Kenny, did I leave anything out? You're good, Bruce. Thanks, man. That's it? <laughs> That's it. Okay. Ken underscore oh, Rosenthal on Twitter. Other than that. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. Other than, <laughs> other than that uh, and his million followers at least, uh, not too much out there. Kenny, uh, let's start with Harper and Machado. I know people are sick of us talking about it every week without having destinations for these guys. What is the game plan for Boris right now as far as shopping Harper? Bruce, the game plan for Boris is the same as it is every year with a marquee free agent, and that's to get the most money. And I know it sounds trite and kind of silly, but that has been his – M.O. in free agency, and people will say, well, doesn't he want to go to a contender? Doesn't he want to go to this team? 
you can justify anything once the money is there. So let's just use the White Sox as an example. I don't believe this is going to happen, but if the White Sox outbid everyone by $20 million, $30 million, they're getting Bryce Harper. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And at the press conference, what they will say is, well, the White Sox aren't that good now, but Bryce has studied their farm system, and he thinks in three or four years, or two or three years, they're going to be really something else. Go back to 2000 in the winter meetings in Dallas, yep. Texas, when the Rangers signed Alex Rodriguez. That was the playbook, folks. Yeah, so, except he had, uh, he had uh, Hicks bidding against himself three times. Well, that's all it takes. Yeah, Jerry that's Reinsdorf right. is not Hicks, and we know that. And again, I'm not saying this is going to happen. In fact, I'd be shocked, utterly shocked if it did happen. But that is generally the way these things go. Hey, Kenny, uh, I don't see Harper and Machado coming to the Cubs. However, I do think that they might dip their toe into free agency. Maybe they look at a reliever. Zach Britton is at least a possibility because they just don't know about the health of Brandon Morrow going forward. So what do you think the Cubs are going to do, whether it's free agency or even make a trade? Because they do seem to have some surplus in either Ian Happ or Kyle Schwarber's trade bait. And on the other side of town, the White Sox, Avi Garcia, what do you think the chances of him being traded You know, at these winter meetings? Avi Garcia might be traded, but he is more likely a non-tender. I don't know that teams are going to give up much for him, given the injuries and all that happened with last year. The Cubs situation is far more interesting. And you've heard all offseason in Chicago, David, that the money is an issue, and it is an issue. There's not a question about that. And you mentioned Happ and Schwarber's trade bait. Sure, they are, but what are they going to bring exactly? How much in demand will they be? I would think you can get a pitcher for one of them, maybe a really good reliever, but I'm not even sure. And I don't know how exactly that would work. Schwarber could be the centerpiece of something bigger. So it could happen. But I don't see them being, wow, these are great chips. The Cubs are going to kill it with these deals. So that leaves free agency. Because of the financial situation that they're in, they are not as free as they've been in the past, certainly last year when they did Darvish and Morrow and Chatwood. But I have a hard time believing that Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer are going to spend the entire winter just sitting still. That is not their history. It is not their style. They are creative. They have done some things in the past that have been very creative. So I would expect they're going to be active. I just can't predict or really even have a feel for what they might do. Kenny, when you when you look at uh, the Cubs, though, and all the Major League teams, over the past year and a half, they've all gotten $68 million from the Disney yep. streaming deal. They've they just gotten an, another raise with the new deal with Fox of somewhere between 12 and, and $20 million each a year. Projected-wise, um, there should be no teams in Major League Baseball that can't bid on $30 million players, right? Bruce, I'm not arguing with that one bit. And go beyond that even. Look at franchise values. Mm-hmm. They never seem to go down. And that is where owners really make their money on the resale of a club. So there's certainly money in the sport. There's no doubt about it. And the Fox deal alone, I mean, that's a guarantee of something like $20 million per year, as you just mentioned. So the money is there. I think in the Cubs' case, it's almost more a luxury tax issue now. Right. But even that, you're not paying a crazy amount in the luxury tax. We talk about it, and teams want to go under and reset their penalties to the minimum the way the Yankees and Dodgers have. I understand that. It's just good business. But 
if the Cubs go over, I don't know, $20 million, what they're paying ultimately, it's whatever it is. It's not that much in a grand scheme of things. And, hey, in their particular case, forget all the national money and the streaming money. How about what they've done around Wrigley? Yep. So there's money there. But it's a question of whether the owners want to spend it or not. And the one thing I will caution fans and remind fans this time of year, and it kind of drives me nuts, everyone will get outraged when Harper and Machado get their deal. Oh, my gosh, no player is worth that. Fine. But what about the owners? Now, we don't know what they're making. We don't have a sense of it or the same kind of feel because they don't go public with their books and all of that. But as you just said, we do know the streaming money. We do know the national TV money. We can have a sense of what the local money is going to be, television and media-wise, and it's going to be good once the Cubs and White Sox redo their deals. So no one's going broke. And if you want to complain about the players, in fairness, you should complain about the owners too. Yeah, it's not as sexy, not as much fun. We're talking. No, about- it's not as much fun. And, and, and I, Bruce, in my opinion, this comes from the fact that we all played baseball as little kids. We all think we should have been major leaguers, and we're outraged by the fact that somebody who got lucky enough to get to the big leagues can get $350 million. Well, right, I get that. But owners who have a little bit different path than most of us, <laughs> they're doing fine. We're talking to Ken Rosenthal, and you can follow him on Twitter at Ken underscore Rosenthal, and I suggest you do because I follow him on Twitter, and I learn something every single day that I follow him on Twitter. Uh, Kenny, going into next season, obviously the Red Sox once again will be the team to beat, and but I want to talk about that in general because the Astros were the team to beat going into this past season. I thought for sure they were going to repeat, but they didn't get out of the National League. Matter of fact, I think every team that wins the year before, I always pick them to win the following season, going back to the Cubs in 16, the White Sox in 05 here locally. But teams just don't repeat in baseball. Why is that? It's a great question, David. And we can use two examples. Let's use the 2016 Cubs for starters. We all thought, and I remember writing the night they won, that this is only the start. This is it. These guys are all going to get better, and it's going to be great for the Cubs for a long time. Well, things don't always progress, especially with young players, in a linear fashion. It's not a straight upward slope. And we've seen with the Cubs, guys go up and down. Some of the younger players. Normal. Chris Bryant has an injury played here. Normal. These things happen. And it's just the way baseball is. The Red Sox, 2018, the team that just won. There's no reason to believe they won't be really good again next season. They've already re-signed Steve Pierce. They may get Evaldi back. They may not, but they'll do something else. They've got the whole core back. They've got a team that won 108 games and then really had a great postseason as well. But this is a team that has yet to deal with a ton of adversity. And when I say that, I mean a, a sustained stretch of losing. They won 108 games, right? That's going to happen. It's going to happen this year, probably. And Alex Cora, at that point, is going to be dealing with a different dynamic. Guys will get hurt. Things will change for them. And the hunger is not the same. And it's understandable. Of course, players want to win. They want to win every game they go out there. They want to win every season. But there is no question a different motivation when you haven't done it than when you have. And all of this plays into it. Ken Rosenthal joining us for a few more minutes on Inside the Clubhouse. He's David Schuster. I'm Bruce Levine. We're here for you every week. My uh, partner usually, uh, Matt Spiegel, will be back next week. 
Uh, every week from 9 to 11, today, a shortened version till 1045, the Paul Basketball Files. And, Kenny, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm ready to file an age discrimination case against Major League Baseball for, ma- for, umpo- for uh, managers of teams like Joe Madden and Bruce Bochy and Mike Sosha because they are now going to be considered uh, ancient and they are considered out of touch uh, to the game and no longer hireable. What is uh, the directive, do you believe, from Major League Baseball about hiring uh, when suggestions are put out there? And how do you see this trend going, knowing Joe's going into his last year under contract, Bochi last year under contract, the $6 million manager, a thing now of the past in Major League Baseball? Bruce, you just hit it the last thing you said, the money. And I don't know that it's age, although that's part of it, but it's really the fact that Teams do not necessarily like managers making $6 million a year. And there's more to it as well. The rise of analytics, which, of course, has been a huge trend in the game, adopted by every team at this point. Well, teams like to work, what do they say, collaboratively with their managers, which means they like to have an influence on their managers. And when you have a younger manager who hasn't done it before, it's easier to have that kind of influence. And it's easier to perhaps get the manager to agree and buy into this whole collaborative effort. It's not the way Joe Madden came up managing, although he's adapted to it quite well. It's certainly not the way Bruce Bochy came up managing, Mike Sosha, all of these different older managers. So it's not age because these guys are certainly smart enough to do it. They're qualified to do it. But it's this idea that The front offices want greater control over the finances of a manager. They want greater control over the decision-making of a manager. And these younger managers are more pliable. Now, Charlie Montoyo just got hired by the Blue Jays. He is not necessarily a young guy, and he's certainly not an experienced manager, but he is someone who is, I believe, 53. Now, he's not going to get big money, but he comes, as does Brian Snicker, from a long history of managing in the minors. And to me, that is the proving ground. Managing the minors, coaching the majors, this was traditionally the path, and it's the path the teams have gotten away from, and that is the thing, honestly, that bothers me the most. Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of quality people out there who just never get the chance. And I understand an Alex Cora is a really good choice, an Aaron Boom is a really good choice. These are bright guys who... Yes, you want managing, but there shouldn't be an exclusion of guys like Montoyo and Snicker either. Right. And when you have guys like uh, Dave Roberts, who we don't even know if he's a great manager now. We know he got his team to the uh, to win a pennant two years in a row, but when he's got an analytics guy sitting next to him, hand, handing him uh, different things from the front office during the game, when he's handed a lineup before the game and asked to adhere to most of it, uh, at this point, they become less than middle managers. How do you retain uh, a clubhouse presence when people know that you're not you're not really the one that's totally in charge of what's going on down there? That's a fair question, and it's a delicate balance. Now, Roberts, if you had him on the air right now, would tell you it's not what we perceive it to be. Mm-hmm. That he does make the decisions, he does use the information, but it's not as if. Andrew Friedman has his hands on the lineup card and is dictating what's going on. Regardless, they certainly adhere to an analytical approach. 
And whether it's because of the front office wanting that or whether it's because of Dave Roberts accepting it, that's the way it's been. Now, Alex Cora certainly put his stamp on the Red Sox. There's no doubt about that. He had a very aggressive way of managing. He had a very direct idea of what he wanted to do. And, yes, analytics played a big part in it. He brought some ideas from Houston and incorporated them with the Red Sox. I'll go back a year before that. A.J. Hinch in the postseason. That was not a front office-driven strategy that he employed. He was basically going, for lack of a better phrase, on gut with some of the relief choices he made because he knew some of his relievers could not handle the load. So he chose a Charlie Morton or a Lance McCullers in certain situations. That is how you get respect. And I don't know that Dave Roberts doesn't have the respect of his clubhouse. In fact, I think that's a misstatement. He does have the respect. But it's a tough balance to strike. And the Dodgers are kind of a case study in this. A lot of people to this day, we're weeks away from the World Series. I talked to a major league coach last week, and he said, I cannot believe Cody Bellinger did not start in the first two games against the left-hander. Well, I'm still surprised myself, but that's the way the Dodgers play it. Yep. Kenny, uh, you're the best. Uh, we'll keep uh, reading you every day in The Athletic, which is uh, on sale and a great buy for everybody out there. MLB Network, Fox, uh, certainly follow you on Twitter, Ken underscore Rosenthal, uh, you know, and we'll see you at the winter meetings. It should be a lot of fun, and we'll be following uh, Boris and uh, Harper around just like everybody else. <laughs> Sounds good, Bruce. Take care, guys. Thanks, Kenny. Kenny Rosenthal. Uh such a great reporter, so much information, a lot of insight. You know what I love about Ken Rosenthal and actually all the national writers? It's, there's a camaraderie you know, between them. There's a really competitive, and we know all the names, that, you know, and he's probably the leader of the back. But they're so competitive, and yet there's a camaraderie, which you know, it, maybe that's the way it's supposed well, it's, to be. It's competition. It's competition, but they seemingly yeah. get along. I mean, you know, I've been involved with – those guys, I yes, saw them too. as young guys growing up too, uh, over the past you know forty years that I've been covering, and you know him and Heyman and uh, Buster Olney and you know there we're we're all pups out of the reporting uh, era from uh, Peter Gammons. Peter Gammons, you know, and going back to Jerome Holtzman here in Chicago and Dick Young in New York. Information, guys. What's better than information, guys? If you have information and it's real and it's legitimate and it's on the money, that's still king in all of sports. Something, and, it's something and, that I'll always gravitate right. towards. And, and you got to be right a lot of the time. And now if you're wrong, you have to sit there on Twitter and say, I was wrong. Here's exactly what happened. I mean, it's just, it, it's just a lot more fun now, but it's more challenging with social media. Bruce, we got another really good guest coming up at 10 o'clock, Larry Young, who is uh, supervisor of umpires. we got some good questions of him, and we'll get some good information as well. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll take more of your phone calls. Our number is always 312-644-6767. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse. 952, welcome back into Inside the Clubhouse for Saturday, November 24th. I'm David Schuster. He's Bruce Levine. We have Larry Young, supervisor of umpires. That's coming up after 10 o'clock. And Bruce, right now, let's go back out to the phone lines. 312-644-6767. Pick it up with a longtime caller to Inside the Clubhouse. Ron, checking in from the south side. Go ahead, Ron. You're on Inside the Clubhouse. 
Well, good morning, guys. Just wanted to agree with Ken Rosenthal. You know, it's interesting when you think about Avisel Garcia. We never knew really what his potential was, and then there was the one year when he, you know, put up some decent numbers. But Bruce, you pointed it out. It's, it's, it's really about home runs, and his average was high, but the 18. But more important than that was the RBIs. So in addition to them, you know, having the prospects, outfield prospects, uh, it's just time for him to move, along, you know, move on. And like I said, just over the years, just was interested, just trying to watch this guy and hoping that he would develop into a very good ball player. And he, and he really, he really did. So and if, if the White Sox weren't able to trade him last year. They definitely won't be able to trade him now. So thank you, guys. Ron, did you ever did you ever get a, a sense that he was uh, like a, an important cog, a leader on the team? I mean, did you ever no? Did you ever feel him as a White Sox? A- absolutely not, Bruce. Just n- never, never felt that about him. Never did. So, uh, so I, and I don't know about his work ethic and the injuries. So, uh, uh-uh, never really embraced him as really gotcha. the White Sox. Thank Ryan, you, guys. Uh, have Thanks, a Ron. Holidays, nice holiday season. This is. Now incorporated between Thanksgiving and New Year's as the holiday season, right? I'm already hearing Christmas I'm sure, music. I'm on sure the radio. you were out on Black Friday yesterday no, shopping no, your butt no, off. No, 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 no. I went to went to the movies, of course, and right, uh, I'll, I'll I took ask it you the later. I'll, I'll ask you for some. Okay. You know, you're you're my guy when it comes to movies. I'm usually right there with you in your taste. You know, it's uh, talking about the White Sox and Avi Garcia, and it's interesting. Last year, obviously, he didn't have uh, this past season. He had a lot of injuries, missed a lot of games. He hit more home runs this past season, nineteen percentage wise. Yeah, yeah, he had nineteen and much lesser amount of games than he did the season before. Maybe just maybe some team will take a look at him and say, you know, especially a team that's got some guys who are getting on base in the top couple of spots in the order, and maybe he can be a run producer. He really wasn't overall for the White Sox, and and I think he is expendable because the White Sox strength is going to be in their farm system in the outfield position. Eloy Jimenez will come up, uh, Luis Robert, you know, a year or two or whatever down the road, and they got so many other guys. So he is expendable. I'm just wondering, can't can't they at least get – I, I hate to say him? it, but I think he's a middle of the order hitter on a second division team. Okay, that's fair. And the and the White Sox are still that they're a second division team, but they don't want to stay there. No, this this year it's incumbent upon the White Sox to learn and to help their players learn how to win baseball games again. Because you you got guys like Jose Abreu that's played five years, and this will be the sixth year of his career on a team that didn't have an over 500 winning record. I mean, that is, when, when people talk about sports, and you see it when you cover basketball as great as you do, when you cover hockey and football like you do, um, there's something about learning how to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't just lose, lose, lose. The talent will help you. They have great young talent coming along. But at some point, they're going to be bringing in a veteran pitcher this offseason. They're going to bring in some other veterans to lead the way and say, you know what, um, this is how we go about it. This is how you must your, your work ethic must be, and uh, it's all about winning the game at the end. They're going to have to have a better bullpen to do it, but uh, the talent is there, and this is the season they have to step on the gas. Absolutely, this is the season upcoming that the White Sox have to got have to turn the corner and start moving upward because. You can only talk about potential for so long. You got to start winning, and I think that's what they have. We're going to do. talk more about Cubs trades, free agency, White Sox trades, free agency, the Hall of Fame uh, coming up, 
with uh, some names that have Chicago interest to it. Your calls at 312-644-6767. Text David at 6711. Larry Young, a great umpire for 32 years, now umpire supervisor, will talk to us at the top of the hour here about uh, some changes possibly in baseball, maybe some new rules coming our way. All right, and we'll hear from Larry right after this. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.